It is Wednesday morning. This is Peter John, and I'm inviting you to the sanctuary tonight for Isaiah and chapter 1 with my father, John Corson, and I'm looking forward to starting the books of the prophets with Isaiah, also known as the fifth gospel. If you have high schoolers, may God have mercy on your soul. And also we have our high school group meeting tonight in the upper room no the solid rock no what is it called i guess solid rock it'll i'll go with that that little cafe that used to be the cafe i should say on the top of the little hill there and uh the junior hires are meeting the little kids are meeting we are meeting this evening where two or more are gathered in the name of the Lord. He is in the center, the midst. So I'm looking forward to that very much. Under the law, you do good and you get good. That's fine. The problem is... You do bad and you get bad. (laughs) Under the law of God and of Moses, the Old Testament, that is the way that it is set up. It is the way that the standard is put into place. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's not very good for you or I. In grace, though, you can receive good, though you don't deserve it. Because Jesus received all of your bad. And God has grace for us if we'll simply receive it by faith. You will be under the spout where the blessing comes out, the favor of God, if by faith you are able to receive it. And even that faith is a gift from God. That is why Paul the Apostle writes in 2 Corinthians, the letter kills, that is the law, the letter All 613 commandments therein, not to mention the Ten Commandments. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, remember that song, I bet you do, from the 60s? Killing You Softly? With the law, 
too often we preach Ten Commandments or the 613 rules in one way or another. We bring it into the New Testament and in the church that ought to be one of the worship songs, perhaps, Killing Me, Killing You Softly. It is deadly, just not obviously so. We think, oh, if I follow the rules or I keep the law, there will be life. Yeah, there will be. The problem is you can't follow, nor can I keep the law in order to have life. So Jesus Christ kept the law for us. Now, in him, we're able to keep the law, but it's not in order to be blessed. It's because we are blessed. It's not in order to be saved. It's because we are saved. So, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, interesting that word life. It's not the usual New Testament term for zoe or life that's found throughout the New Testament. This is a different word that's found in 2 Corinthians where it says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. For that word life literally means to make fruitful or to make well and helpful and fruitful. So see, the Spirit makes me fruitful. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the law nor the letter that makes me fruitful. It is the Spirit. When I receive the Spirit of the Lord, I become fruitful. Literally, that's what it says, when the Spirit gives a life. Now, on the other hand, the ministry of death, as the letter or the law is called, is engraved on stone, right? Those Ten Commandments. And it's what God, in his word, calls the ministry of death. So often, preachers, ministers, church organizations are preaching the ministry of death. Come, hear the preacher with the ministry of death. And people are there, and they're being picked apart. They're being picked on so that the preacher can sound good or the sermon can be something that is marveled or admired. But it's killing people softly, <laughs> if you would. I wonder how often people like you, definitely like me, can get sick. Literally, I mean physically sick. Because they, we, feel condemned, feel guilty. We haven't really accepted that our sins have been forgiven. And somehow, I, I'm wondering out loud here on KAPL this morning, if our genes, not our genes Levi's, I mean our G-E-N-E-S, 
know somehow that we want to punish ourselves. Let's help her. Let's help him, the DNA says. And so we punish ourselves with ulcers, illness, maybe even terminally so. I'm wondering out loud, as a non-certified, I am not a doctor. I don't even have a doctorate degree. (laughs) But I'm wondering out loud, as it's called an immune disorder. That's what I have. Do you have one of those? It's the body fighting against itself. And you wonder if it's because somebody needs to pay. I'm wondering. It's so important to look at the cross and say, there is the payment. There is the punishment. Then everything in our body can finally say, at peace. (laughs) It can finally say, my body could finally say, boys, calm down. Hold your horses. Jesus paid once and for all. Imagine if you owed somebody a debt. Not imagine, you probably do, but I mean a huge, let's say, let's say some kind of debt. Let's say $100,000. And let's say someone on your behalf pays that person you owe not only the hundred thousand, let's say an overpayment. Let's say, just imagine they pay to that creditor a million, no, a hundred million dollars, right? So now when you see that creditor that you owed a thousand dollars to, let's say a hundred thousand dollars to, but they're paid a hundred million dollars in an overpayment. Are you any longer intimidated or afraid by that person you owed? No, no way. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. An overpayment for our sins. The Bible says in Jesus, we have received forgiveness of sin and redemption according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. According, I like that. According means if you can measure the riches of God's grace, that is how much you are forgiven. If my forgiveness depends on me being aware of my sin, I'll never be assured. In fact, I'll be st- In fact, I'll get sick. In the Old Testament, there was a sin offering even for those ignorant sins. Those sins that were done unknowingly. Jesus Christ paid that price for the sins that I know and don't know. For the things I'm aware of and not. Isn't he good? Isn't it wonderful to know that whenever there's a debt on your conscience, you avoid your debt collector. The law, the enemy, because they have been paid in full. Your debts have. 
Wow, isn't it good to know? Isn't God gracious? You already know everything I've said more than likely, but it's good to be reminded. Christ is that solid rock. You do know why. Let me remind you or put back into your consciousness as you're tuned in. He is that solid rock because he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't have his ups and downs as we do when it comes to his keeping of the law or his perfection, his holiness. No, he is Christ, the solid rock. So you stand on him. You build on him. You live on him, the solid rock. I think of Mount Sinai, where in many ways, the people of Israel signed a contract 
without even reading the terms of the contract. They said even before the contract was written down, they already said, we will keep all that God had commanded. They signed it before it was even written without even reading the terms. That's what happens in our flesh. We get ahead of the game. We think we can keep the law in order to be blessed. But what's interesting is being under the law actually gave strength to their sin. Listen, the first stone, that is the first copy, as it were, of the Ten Commandments is coming down the mountain and they are breaking the law. It didn't even reach the bottom. So Moses breaks it. You know how that goes. And God gives him another 40 days later or what have you. And this time God said, this time I love it. The second time God said, Moses, take those 10 commandments and put it under the mercy seat. The first time he took the law, they broke it dancing nakedly like idiots even as the law was being given. The second time God says, now take this law, they can't keep it, so put it under the mercy seat, that lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And now it is, God says, I will meet you at the mercy seat. Praise the Lord. See, check this out. In the Old Testament, if you're, if, if you're wanting to know these things. If if you're Israel, for example, if I asked you, what is the holiest nation in the world? You would say Israel. If I asked you, what is the holiest city in Israel? You would say Jerusalem. What is the holiest location in Jerusalem? You would answer the temple of the Mount on the Mount. Well, where is the holiest part of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And what is the center in the middle of the Holy of Holies? The mercy seat. What the New Testament calls the throne of grace. Look at that. Even in the Old Testament, even in the tabernacle and then the temple. Check it out. You have the holiest nation, Israel, the holiest city, Jerusalem, the holiest location in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, the holiest part of the temple, the Holy of Holies, and at the center of the Holy of Holies was the mercy seat, the throne of grace. Grace and mercy are at the center. No wonder why Jesus at that very temple, at that very place, said to that woman caught in the act of adultery, instead of condemning her to death. He says, I do not condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Too often the church says, go and sin no more and we will not condemn you. But 
the Son of God said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Knowing you are not under condemnation gives you the power to go and sin no more.
So, if you believe that God has finished the work in any area that you believe this, you are in his rest. Any area that you believe that God has finished the work, you are in his rest. You can even say that God is never angry except when people do not enter his rest. <laughs> that, that could be said for it says God swore in his wrath. Thou has not entered into my rest. Hebrews, the New Testament said. I mean, okay, to further illustrate this, of all the commandments... Of the Ten Commandments, it is the one that deals with rest, the Sabbath, that has 94 words, the most of any commandment of the Ten. It has to do with rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then, not only that, but you have the rest of the commandments with the Sabbath day as well. I mean, imagine... Thou shalt not kill is four words. But the commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, has more words in it than thou shalt not kill. So we might not emphasize rest, but God certainly does. Listen to what John Calvin said the man known as a renowned theologian. He said, of all the commandments, God is most severe with breaking the Sabbath law. Isn't that interesting? And yet of the Ten Commandments, that is one we less emphasize more than the others. Yes, partially due to Paul's writings saying it's no longer confined to a day. It is a greater truth, a greater reality of God's rest. That is so true. But what Calvin says is also true. God emphasized his rest of all the commandments more than any other. <laughs> For when you work, God rests. <laughs> but when you rest, God works. Why? Because if I do something, I get the credit. Or if you do something, you get the credit. But if God does it, he gets the glory. So when you rest, he goes to work. And that's the essence of what Jesus taught. What he was speaking of and pointing to in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, dealing with resting. He said, if you need clothing or food, look at the flowers in the field and the birds of the air. Are they worried? Are they stressed? No. The flowers aren't worried. The birds aren't stressed. So rest like they do, he is saying. And that's why the Bible says there remains, therefore, a rest 
for the believers of God. The only labor that God tells us to labor in is entering into his rest. He doesn't say labor to be rich or labor to build a bigger house or to find a soulmate. He says labor to enter in the finished work. Pete, why are you always talking about this? The finished work of the cross is the first and the last. It is the beginning and the end. It's not the starting point. It's the only point. And I'm telling myself this once again, even as I tell you. I was a drifter. I had nowhere to go. I was hanging by threads of dust and bone. Every angel I knew was singing, son, come home. But the melody was hard to sing along. Oh God, you're my deliverer. deliverer he is the light of the world now when you read 
in the New Testament. Let's say this morning, 1 John, you read about walking in the light rather than in the darkness, right? In the light. Are you walking in light or darkness? When you read through 1 John, I would suggest for your thinking that you will read, you will see that every believer is walking in the light. That you are in the light and every unbeliever is in the darkness. It's not simply behavior, but it's an entire position that, yes, affects behavior, thought process, and speech, no doubt. But if we translate that as behavior, that I'm in the light when I'm behaving right, if we translate it that we must be in the light as God is in the light, (laughs) we can never do that. We cannot live like that. You are in the light. It's saying where God is, that is where you are, where I am. So it says in 1 John, this is the message we have heard and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are in darkness, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So you cannot be walking with God and be in darkness. It's not so much a word of warning as a flat-out statement. You are in the light. And so am I. I, I, I'm saying this because I think a lot of Christians can tend to, starting with you or I, we can tend to proceed from this mentality. I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. And you know what? How do I say this? Because I could say this about me as well, but there are many who seem to be holy or pious outwardly, but they have no love, no joy. They're grumpy or angry or finger pointing all of the time. And what I would suggest is if your holiness does not give you love and joy, but instead gives you grumpiness toward people, something is wrong. You have a pseudo holiness. And it comes from judging your standing on your performance. Never judge your standing on your performance, but judge your performance on your standing. That your performance can be right and it can even be wrong, but don't judge based on that. Judge your performance based on your standing. Don't you love that? Pete, you're saying we can live any way we want? Yeah, I am. Because you will want to walk with God. You will want to love your neighbor. You will want to live in holiness when you realize you are already made holy. We'll be right back. 
talk about the forgiveness of our sins every day like we do here on Rogue Grace. Let me make it clear that it's not as though our sins have escaped God. No. Our sins were punished in the body of Jesus Christ. And when we believe that, and as I repeat that, we are honoring God. (laughs) When I talk about Jesus and the price that he paid 
and the work that he accomplished on the cross on behalf of us and for our sin, I am honoring God. You're not going to be punished, therefore, for your sin. It's what we would call in our court of justice, double jeopardy, right? To punish two times. God will not punish sin two times. Our forgiveness is as solid, it's as good as Jesus. That's why the blood of bulls and and, uh, goats could only cover for so long, for a year, in the book of Leviticus. But the blood of Jesus removes, doesn't cover, removes sin from the sight of God once and for all. So you are forgiven, not just for a year. You are forgiven for life. And when people realize they are forgiven this much, they will sin less. It's ironic. I know it goes against our flow. People would would say to me or you, you can't preach such grace. People will take advantage of it. Not if they receive it. People who receive this grace will live in truth and holiness. That's the bottom line. The cross is the love of God making payment to the justice of God completely. He fully met all of the divine claims of the law and of justice. When you believe that, you honor God. I'm honoring God by talking about the finished work of the cross as well as relieving our souls. relieving our burdens. We are also honoring God. And that will lead us into holiness, not just our position, which we have, but practically on a day-to-day basis. That is the good news. Father, I pray to you. I talk to you now on the air at this hour, thanking you, blessing you for sending your only begotten son, knowing that he was sent to be our propitiation, our perfect sacrifice. Father, your son never sinned. He kept the law in perfection, and yet he also loved the sinners. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is worthy of our praise, and we give that to him even at this moment, Lord. Father, would you now make us more like your son in the way that we live, in the way that we think, and in the way that we speak. 
May we indeed live up to that reputable name, that legacy of Christian. For that, thank you that you leave us not to our own strength, but you give us the help of your Holy Spirit, of whom we receive with open arms gladly into our hearts and lives. Bless all that have heard this prayer with the things that I have prayed. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on out tonight. Isaiah chapter 1 to chapter question mark. We'll see. See you tonight. And if the Lord should tarry, I'll talk to you again tomorrow morning here on Rogue Grace.